0: Hey, I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver.
0: Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing.
1: So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing.
0: So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table.
1: Today we're going to be talking to our friend Ray Blackmore. He's been playing D&D for almost two decades, and he's been DMing for most of them. Uh, He has some great advice on our topic today.
0: Today we're going to be talking uh, DM101 Session Zero. Session Zero is your first session uh, when you're starting up a new campaign, and it's basically just the idea of getting everybody down uh, together so you can explain the world they're going to be playing in and any limitations, and uh, helping them create characters inside of this new world you've created. First question: How do you approach leading a group of players through character creation?
2: Well, I think uh, leading characters through character creation is going to vary depending on whether you have new character, or sorry, new, new players or uh, experienced players. For newer players, I find that you spend a lot of session zero helping them with the mechanics, picking out what class they want. And really, I think there's two ways to go about doing that. Uh, one, you ask them what they want to be able to do. Some players are very driven on the mechanics side; they like to kick down doors and kill orcs, or they want to cast spells and transmute objects. In that case, then you lead them towards the class they want, and then you help them build a character on top of that. Uh, for the other end of characters, uh, players who prefer a more story-driven character, you ask them who they want to be. Right? Oh, well, I want to be a blacksmith who wants to avenge his father. Okay, well, do you think that you're trained as a warrior? No, not really. Okay, well, you know, and you lead them through questions like that, which then help them figure out what they want to be able to do based on who they want to be. And you sort of marry the character with the personality that they're looking to have and the class they're looking to have. For more inveterate players, uh, it's a little more hands-off. I usually like to spend session zero explaining a little bit more about what the game's going to be about. And I mean, you do this a little for both types of players, but especially for more uh, veteran players, you know, give them a little bit of the backdrop. You guys are going to start on the road, you know, the Duke has given you... A job to do so on and so forth so they have an idea of where they're coming from um, and then i think probably the biggest part of a session zero no matter what type of players you have experienced new uh, is you want to make sure that they're building characters not so much necessarily in a class sense but in a player sense or i'm sorry in a, in a story sense that are going to get along Um, You don't want to have a dwarf who hates orcs and an orc who hates dwarves. And then they show up and you're like, what's everyone playing on session one, your actual session one? And they decide that they can't get along They need to kill each other, right? You need to (laughs) cut that sort of thing off at at the pass. Same thing, you know, if you've got a lone wolf assassin, you want to make sure that he's going to want to help rescue the orphans, right? Before the session starts and then you have an impasse.
0: Or at the very least, like, try and turn that into, okay, maybe you guys don't hate each other. You're willing to work together to be like, you're going to sleep on opposite sides of the camp kind of thing.
2: Exactly, exactly. Like, it's okay if they want to play those things. That's, there's no problem with that. I'm really... I do my best, I think, as a DM, and I think it's best as a DM to say yes whenever you can. Uh, but it's okay to say yes, but. Right? So, yes, you want to play Throgar, the, the dwarf slayer. That's fine. But, you know, we need to work on a what, reason why you're not going to kill Jesse's dwarf right off the hop. Right? And And... Usually you can make a compromise as long as both players know that they're going to have to make that compromise. But if you show up to session one planning to be this dwarf slayer and and then you meet this dwarf, well, I mean, obviously you're going to do what you think your character's supposed to do. So... Yeah, not to mention even running into NPCs who happen to be dwarves and stuff like that. Right, right. So, you know, you wanna you wanna tune that in a way that's gonna be viable because again if the campaign turns out to be all about working with dwarves, then that is a problem, right? And it can be a rich role playing experience where you have Throgar who refuses to give dwarves the time of day and you know, he looks to other players and says, No, I'm not talking to him, you talk to him. Great, that's that's a rich moment for everyone involved, right? The NPCs get Amped up, the other players get to step in and talk on your behalf, and and you kind of you can even have that moment where you're like, no, tell them that I won't do that. <laughs> it's be- better better
0: than like you walk into the dwarf town and he just goes into a rage killing everybody.
2: Totally, totally. So um, the other thing that's really important for a session zero is to uh, set out what kind of game you want to run. Um, and that's, again, beyond helping the players create their characters and fit them into the story, just letting them know what kind of story you want because maybe you're going to have a very silly game you know, where where silly things happen and wizards really pull rabbits out of their hats and the rabbits talk and hand out quests and that's cute. That can be really a lot of fun if everyone's up for that kind of game, but again, if you've got someone who's playing this sort of Darth Wolverine snickety-snickety-bub, lone wolf edgelord (laughs) character, that's not going to be any good because he's just not going to buy in, right? Um, On the flip side, if you're going to have a very dark game, you don't want to have characters who are very friendly and bubbly and not prepared to go through this rigorous gritty game, right?
0: right.
2: Yeah, it's best to have everyone clear on that before they start playing cuz like
1: <clears throat> yeah. You don't want somebody to show up with Rothgar the Dwarf Killer <laughs> and be like, "Oh, well I spent like 3 hours building this character and now I can't play him." Totally. Mm. Totally. Yeah. yeah
0: that's probably I think that's probably at the end of the day that's probably the biggest thing is that uh, you don't want to have a pl- player feel like they've wasted their time. In putting in a lot of effort, creating a character and backstory and like figuring out how they want to play, and then to sit down and find out that all that work was wasted.
2: Totally. Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. This isn't that kind of game. What do you mean? Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, uh,
1: in sort of off of that topic, uh, and I know you've had experience with this in a campaign I was in of yours, uh, when you run into players who wanna play something that don't quite fit the build of it. Do you think you can talk shortly on how you handle that or how best to mitigate that? Yeah,
2: so I mean I guess I just to clarify, you're you're saying you you create the premise for your game, uh, and then you have a player who doesn't want to play into that premise. Is that kinda of right? Yeah.
0: yeah, like like <clears throat> I think the examples like Say you were a DM who who had come up with an idea totally on their own of a group of twelve dwarves who want to go and like reclaim something from a mountain so that one of them can be uh, can retake his throne. That's really original. You should you should run. Yeah, that. and then one of them shows up as a hobbit slash halfling slash non trademark name. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. and nibble Taggins or something like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Or or you or you have a party of. Um, like again, it depends on what kind of game you want to run. But like, you have a game where like, you won't like you've told them it's going to be high intrigue, and they all show up with six and barbarians. <laughs> it's like, mm, well, okay, so the intrigue is going to be way yeah. above your heads. Yeah,
2: um, I think I think I mean, and that's it's such a subjective question because it's really going to depend on what your premise is and uh, and what. They bring to the table, and how many of them bring to the table, right? Um, so you know, you talked about the twelve dwarves, and you have this guy who plays a hobbit. First of all, never run for thirteen players—that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but if you're gonna run for thirteen players, and they are twelve dwarves and one hobbit, uh, halfling, I guess, then um, I would say, you know, obviously you're gonna have your session zero where you find this out, right? You're like, I want you all to make dwarven brothers. You guys are gonna reclaim the dwarven homeland, and you know, you've got that one guy who's just like, you know what? I just I'm not feeling dwarf. I do not want to play a dwarf. I want to play a halfling. Well, you come to sort of. I, it's kind of like a three-way crossing, right? you got a three options as far as I'm concerned. One, uh, will you say, okay, well, first of all, why? You know, why don't you want to play a dwarf, or why do you want to play this halfling, right? Uh, from there, if the player has a really good reason, um, you know, then you can look to the group, you know, it's. I mean, you don't always have to by diplomacy, but you look to the group and you say, hey guys, are you cool if, if Billy plays, plays a halfling and he's got this idea for a halfling rogue, you know, I think it'd be really cool, it sounds like you guys are all martial characters, you could probably use a rogue, you know, you can sell a little if you want, and I don't know, if you're playing with a group that plays regularly, usually the group is pretty willing to make accommodations because, I mean, we're all friends, that's usually the idea. Uh, if you're running for a group that you don't normally run with, a group of strangers, well then you have more power as the DM because you don't have that social bond, which isn't to say that you don't want to respect your players, but you can just simply, simply say, I'm making an exception for Billy, he's going to play this halfling, you know, and usually people are okay with that. The second option is you can try and convince Billy to play a dwarf, right, You he can be the 13th lost brother. Um, and then the last one is if neither of those work, he won't agree to compromise, the group won't agree to compromise, or you don't want to compromise, you know, it has to be dwarves, then maybe Billy might not be a right fit for your game. Um, that being said, I like the first option the best, uh, again, I like to be a yes, but DM, uh, you know, yes, lot and i think that it's a really enriching opportunity i mean you know if one were to make a movie about 12 dwarves uh and a halfling i think it would be a really interesting movie and you would see that the halfling brings a great dynamic to that movie um and the same goes for for a dnd table um you know you can have a party of all elves you've got four elves one guy doesn't want to play an elf maybe he wants to play a half elf or a human all of a sudden he's not from the elves who are striking out of their elf wood he's you know, he's uh, a merchant that they, they know and trust and respect, you know. And he's an outsider, but he's an insider, you know. But he's an insider outside of the Elven Woods. So he has the advantage working with other humans, but then the elves kind of look down on him, and that makes for great role playing.
1: Right, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so to kind of uh, play on something you said earlier yeah.
1: about 12 dwarven brothers yeah. who are fighters and one, maybe introducing one rogue, uh, what do you think about, or how do you deal with a group of Beginning players, especially who are missing a role that is key, especially in Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. Ah, yeah. like
0: like like for I think the best example is it's like if you have a party of all fighters, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can usually hack and slash away through anything. Yeah, the fighters are but, very versatile. Yeah. But the the flip side would be like you've got two sorcerers, a source, uh, a warlock, a wizard, and a cleric. It's like
2: right, they're all soft, right? Yeah, yeah they're all soft targets. Um. I don't know, I think the longer I play D&D, and I've been playing, I, I thought about it the other day, because when you guys asked me if I would do this interview with you, uh, I think I've been playing for like 18 years, uh, and the longer I play D&D, the more out of love I fall with uh, the traditional nuclear party, right? You've got the, the tank, the healer, the the caster, and then you've got usually a rogue, and then, you know, usually you have a couple of wild cards if you have more than four people. Um, I think that as the DM at the end of the day, you're the sole arbiter of the entire content, right? Even if you're, whether you're running out of a module or whether you're writing your own adventure, homebrewing it up, they don't run into anything that you don't put in front of them because you narrate what they do. Even if they say, I set the building on fire, it's up to you what happens. Like You're like, no, it doesn't catch. What? Oh, yeah, it's made out of brick. Oh, okay. you know, Down to the nth degree. So I think that with that mind, especially with new players, um, you know, it's really easy because they also don't have a whole lot of preconceived notions on what should be going on. Uh, And you can remind them, well, you know, you guys, traditionally, this is what we have. If they're all like, no, we all want to play these casters, well, then that's fine. You know, you can give them abilities that compensate for that. So um, it's harder with casters to give them abilities to tank, um, but the easy route there would be to give them an NPC, Um, whether that is uh, a local fighter who wants to help them out, someone that gets sent with them on the adventure by the guy who's paying them, someone who's invested, um, or even you can just say, you know, you're all studying under the same master and he gave you this this golem right and you of course jury rig a low rent iron golem or stone golem you wouldn't want to give them the whole thing that thing clear dungeons on its own but uh in the case of a party where you have everything but one um it's really easy to supplement that it's harder when you it's like everyone's a wizard and you're like oh (laughs) we're missing healing and tanking and a rogue but again you can do it i think when you're just missing oh we don't have a healer well that's easy give give the party a wand of cure wounds that works for anybody or uh, give them all the ability to spend a uh like a second wind like a fighter once per combat if you want to do it that way. uh, You can, again, give them a cleric who's been sent by the local lord to help them out. Uh, You know, there's a number of different ways to do that. Same thing. Rogues, you can give them enchanted thieves picks that work for everybody, that kind of thing. Before starting a campaign, possibly even
0: before you do your session zero when you're still in the prep phase maybe, what kind of information do you feel is most useful to get from the player's
2: about their characters, about what they're expecting, about what they're hoping for? Yeah, um, I think there's three things. I think that one breaks down into three easy bullet points for me, Um, and every DM will have their own preferences. But I like to know, and I'll talk about each of them briefly, I like to know a little bit about the character, and that's just three or four sentences minimum, you know, uh, his name, a little bit about what he's like, and mostly where he's from. I wanna know where the character comes from, and I don't need, you know, a whole thing. You know, again, Throgar, the Dwarf Slayer, He's an Orcish warlord who was kicked out of his tribe because he betrayed his clan. And now he's looking for a place to fit in where he can put his axe to good use.
0: Perfect. When it, when it comes to like stuff about where they're from, do you, do you prefer to say, like, here's my world map, pick a point? Or do you just, if they say, I'm from the Orc city of Hagosh, you just go, cool, okay,
2: that's over there. Um, A little bit of both, really. I mean, first one depends if you have a world map, right? Some DMs, depends how big your adventure is, right? If you're running a large scale campaign, yeah, you probably have a world map, awesome. Um, If you're running just a little adventure, you don't. Uh, So then that's more of the second option. Oh, I'm from Throgosh, okay, cool. Um, You know, usually, I ask the character or the player, if they're like, I'm really not sure, well, then I help them out. If they're new, I say, okay, well, you know, I've got some orc settlements over here. You could be from here. You know, if they're like, oh, I come from, you know, Dwarf Spain, the stronghold of Grunch, I'm like, okay, do you know where that would be located? He's like, the Northern Mountains. I'm like, all right, well, there they are. That's that. There's your home. So it's a little bit of both, but um, but usually, uh, you know, guide them where they need the guidance. Uh, again, so the three things, I'd like to know where the, who they are. I want to know what the character wants. So in, in Throgar's case, again, he, he's looking for somewhere to fit in. He's looking for new brothers in arms. Uh, he would like to slay dwarves, of course. Uh, and and that's great. And then, you know, he's looking, looking for profit and to make a living. Perfect. Okay, so he takes to adventuring, hires himself as a mercenary, whatever. Uh, lastly, I want to know what the player wants out of the character in the game. Because sometimes you'll give the character what he wants, and that's the opposite of what the character wants. So you've got, you've got Billy, and he's playing Throgar, and he says, well, I want Throgar to see the error of his ways. I want everyone to be disgusted with his cruelty towards dwarves, right? And you would think that he's playing this dwarf slayer, so of course, you'd think that the automatic assumption is he wants Throgar to have dwarves to kill so that he can roll around in the bloodshed. That's not always, the case. sometimes it is, sometimes it's A to B. But sometimes there's a lot of letters in between on the way. It uh, really depends too. <clears throat> I find that more with seasoned
1: players; they tend to be more like, "Yes, I want to play something where the character wants this,
2: but I want the opposite because that's what's interesting to them."
1: Yeah, totally. Our friend
2: Jay does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I um, I used to I used to play a bunch of text-based roleplay um, in chat rooms when I was really young, and there was always one room, there was a, a slave auction, and you would always have these new players to like the realm, they'd show up and they'd come in and kill the NPC slave keepers and free the slave. And of course, you'd see that player leave with the character and they'd come back like 10 minutes later, and they'd have their macro up again, selling their character on the slave auction because they were there to play a slave and that's what they wanted to do, right? That's what they were role playing, right? They wanted to get caught up in adventures with heroes who needed slaves and servants and stuff. and you need to make sure that you're giving your players what they want. If they're playing a dread necromancer and they want to do some dread necromancy, awesome. But you need to make sure that that's the case because maybe they're waiting for him to be punished or smitten or redeemed, uh, you know, and you you won't know if you don't ask. And sometimes the players won't tell you. They they just assume the opportunity will present itself.
0: Right. And especially for, for newer DMs, um, I think that some of that stuff can be challenging. Like, if, you know, you've got a player who comes in with a character that, like, the character's all about killing orcs, and the player wants them to go through a, you know, to grow as a person and a character and to learn that maybe not all, all orcs deserve killing.
2: Yeah, they want this huge montage. Yeah,
0: they want, like, a story arc. And as, as a new, I think for newer DMs, that might be <clears throat> daunting, because they maybe don't have the experience, they don't know how to go about that. So do you have any any hints on like when a player has come to you the dm and said i want my my character to experience x um, some hints on how to maybe go about that yeah
2: i mean again i mean the the actual content will be subjective right based on the character for sure um, i think the first thing is to what the character or the player know definitely i will do my best um, you know it's not going to happen in next the first session. Session. <laughs> exactly right um, you know and, uh, and and encourage the the player to seize opportunities where they see an opportunity, right? You know, I say to them, well, definitely, I'm open to that, you know, but, like, let's work on it together. So I'll, I'll throw situations out there where, you know, where, where Throgar can can be like, no, we must spare these orcs or dwarves or whoever, <laughs> you know, uh, for whatever reason. But, you know, you, you need to meet me halfway, right? And someone's not just going to step down and be like, Throgar, I'm here to redeem you, yeah. you know. Um, as far as that goes from there, it's just you know, you don't have to give them something towards what they want every session, you know, but you just have to remember the basic ones, because of course, they're still here to play D&D on its own, right? They still want to play their character and play with other characters and slay dragons and get treasure. Uh, but, you know, you once in a while, you got to throw them something that leads towards that. I uh, I played with a guy uh, once in a one shot uh, in a game store, and he had bought boots of water walking for his character. And, and he wanted to water walk so bad. Uh, and no one knew this until after the fact. Uh, and, you know, we played the whole session, and and there was no opportunity for him to walk on water. And, you know, we're all shooting the breeze afterwards. Uh, and, you know, we're all, you know, DM's left. He's wrapped up and gone home. We're all just hanging out. And I'm like, oh, man, that was so good, right? We had a lot of fun, right? We raided the Cobalt Lair. And he's like, no, it was bullshit. Pardon my language. Um, and he was like, no, that's just that's garbage. And I was like, why? What's wrong, man? He's like, I... I bought these boots of water walking, and I didn't get to walk on any water. And let me tell you, the fights were good, the pacing was good, the role-playing was good. It was a great session. But nope, he didn't get to walk on any water, and he was mad about it. And, you know, if the DM had known, I'm sure he could have, you know, easily put something in there. It's such a silly thing, but sometimes it's those little things... And people get really connected to them. Usually, they're bigger things. That's the other thing is usually when you ask a player what do you want, they'll say something like, "Oh yeah, I just I uh, wanna I wanna have some interesting combats. Uh, I'd like to rescue somebody sometime. It's it's really easy to do. Uh, I always say odious. That's for me. I just love Odiogs, Those little stumpy buggers. They're just wonderful. So. Well, and I
1: think the thing that's great about this, and again, I experienced this one of your games, is you sometimes have a player that is very specific about the things they want. I'm thinking uh, Hexal. Yes,
2: Hexal, for sure. <laughs> With the unicorn? With the unicorn. With the unicorn. Right, okay, so do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, do you want to tell like, maybe a short story about it? Short story, yeah, I think we should probably stay away from long game stories. Yeah, I'll because... be super
2: quick. Okay, so long story short, we had this uh, human ranger in the party, uh, this player, and he wanted his character to have a unicorn as a mount, essentially. And I was like, okay, well, I can't just hand you a unicorn, right? You understand that. And he's an experienced player. He, he knew. And I, think he was, I think he was mostly just trying to see how far he could push me. Um, but so what we did was um, between the one adventure that ended, we had some downtime, and I had a little quick scene that I wrote up for him and just sent it to him via email, where he hears this horrible noise, his ranger finds this unicorn being hunted, uh, and there's this bugbear who lops off its horns, trap the unicorn. So he shoots it with his bow, takes out its eye, the bugbear flees with the horn, and of course he has this wounded unicorn, this incomplete unicorn. and, And he just took to her, uh, her name was Ravenna, she, of course she's a unicorn. she could talk with her mind, she's a psychic, uh, and, and then she became a, an NPC, and essentially just a horse, and by the end of that adventure arc, uh, they realized that the bugbear was a guy named Vignar the Butcher, who turned out to be sort of like this main, like, player in the sort of dynamic of the adventure, so then all of a sudden he was more invested to get this guy and kill him, meanwhile they were fighting off a bugbear invasion, anyway, the point is, you know, he wanted a unicorn, I was like, I'll give you a unicorn, but I'm not just going to give it to you. You make it work for it. Totally. And it was so rewarding. And when he finally got the horn back and the elves fixed the unicorn and she became a unicorn again, it was amazing. Like, it was just, everyone felt so It was satisfied. one of the highlights of the campaign, and that's
1: that's one of the great things about asking your players what you want, and, like, maybe even if you have to push them a little bit to give you a, a more complete Something. answer, yeah.
2: is you can end up making these amazing things out of them. Yeah, well, I think it's that customization that makes D&D so much more charming than a video game, right? You know, you can pick any video game you want, whether it's an MMO like World of Warcraft or an open-end game like Mass Effect, you know, you are the hero, but it's still not tailored to you but whereas D&D can be that way you can have that moment for your character and what's great is it's not exactly like you imagined it because it's organic right? Yeah. the DM is making it happen
0: and I think, I think the best thing that can come out of asking a player what they want is not just making that player more invested but getting everybody more invested because you're able to turn that one thread
2: into a tapestry that every, it affects everybody totally yeah well exactly like bringing it back to that unicorn for a sec, you know, like Ravenna connected with different players in the party on different levels. You know, they got to role play with a unicorn, which, you know, like, you don't always get to do that. It was, it was a really neat situation. And again, that was just because I asked him, I asked everyone, well, what do you want? And some people it was very easy. Well, I'm just good with what you're doing. I like what you're doing, you know, just keep going. Or I would like to fight a bugbear or an Etten or whatever. And that was easy to throw in there. And then sometimes you have opportunities to add depth to the game, and you know the depth is going to be good because the players told you they wanted that depth specifically.
0: Right, and the flip side of that, opposed, like not giving players what they want, but taking things from them <laughs> at the start. So um, limitations, like for example, in the game that I'm running right now, um, magic is depowered, and part of the campaign is going to be unlocking magic, making it more powerful again. Um, when it comes to things in your world like classes magic races items whatever um are there things that you always limit are there things that like when you want to limit them you have to be careful about how you do it um and how do you just deal with limitations in general
2: that's a that's a tricky question that's probably the hardest question on here um um I think the first part is transparency. Um, When you're gonna limit things, you gotta be very upfront, that's why you wanna have your session zero. So you can say to everybody, hey guys, magic isn't like you think it is. It's not like it's in the book, okay? So if you're gonna play a a magic user, if I'm even gonna let you play a magic user, then you need to know what that's really gonna look like for you, here's the stuff that I've done with that. Um, For things that are maybe a little less uh i would say dramatic like redefining certain classes like magic or whatever um say technology levels right um that's a big one you're gonna run a savage campaign where everything's made out of bone and stone and you've got axes and spears sort sword hasn't been invented yet and you've got a character who wants a scimitar and he wants a scimitar because he he likes the numbers attached to the scimitar. He doesn't actually care that it's a curved, heavy blade from the desert. He cares that it does D whatever, plus whatever, it has these modifiers on it. Well, then you say to him, well, what if I give you this axe, and we'll make a new name for it, we'll call it a war axe, and it can do that. And then maybe he's happy. So those limitations can be done by compromise. Um, Similarly, um, I find races, a lot of times players like to play races because they like what the race can do. Uh, And sometimes you can recolor that as well. It's like, I'm gonna run a dwarf game, right? We've got our 12 dwarves and our one halfling. And the halfling player doesn't wanna play the the halfling because he wants to be a small little man who's stealthy. He wants to play, he wants the dex bonus, he wants the stealth bonus, he wants the luck bonus. Well, then I say, well, what if I let you play a halfling mechanically, but we'll call him a dwarf, right? Uh, I think that's something that a lot of DMs are reluctant to do, and it's really like such a victimless crime to the rules, uh, and you're the DM anyway, so you can do what you want. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that sometimes a different coat of paint is really good. As far as like hard stops, where it's like, I'm just not going to do it, I don't really like to do that if I don't have to. Um, again, I'm more concerned, because I'm, I'm more of a more of a story DM than I am a mechanics DM. I mean, I, I do well with both. I like to say they're like peanut butter and jelly, they're delicious on their own, but they're just magic together, Uh, right? You gotta have the story, you gotta have the the mechanics. Um, But I find a lot of restrictions you can avoid by asking the player why they want the thing that you told them they can't have. Um, whether, again, whether it's a race you're restricting, whether it's magic you're restricting. I mean, magic's the hard one because it's magic. But, you know, and they'll usually just say, oh, well, you know, I just really want to be able to double move. You're like, okay, well, let's let's get you into a class that can do that instead yeah. of a race that can do that. Or let's build you a feat. Totally, or let's build you a feat, right? That's another thing that you can do. Um, I ran a, hearkening back to the same game with the unicorn, I ran a no magic setting, or lower magic setting as far as magic items were concerned. I wanted you to find a magic sword and it'd be like, A magic sword yeah like it's got like three abilities i've more or less stacked three weapons together it's got a name it's got a history all this stuff a beautiful description um but we were playing a fourth head game and fourth head has a like a power track where it's like oh when you hit when you run for second level they're gonna get these items like you know not specific items but level of items right it was very dependent on that to keep your bonuses in place so we used inherent bonuses so we just gave out the bonuses for free and then, instead of giving them magic gear, which should give them utility abilities, I put together custom feats or abilities for them, and assigned them to the characters at points where they would find treasure hordes and stuff like that. Right. And that would allow them to sort of simulate those. So, That's I mean, res- uh, sorry, And a lot of those were
1: <clears throat> more satisfying because they became an eight-parts character, and like, oh, this is a cool thing I can do, not a cool thing that this item lets me do.
2: Yeah, so I mean, just to circle back to your your overall question, because I kind of sidestepped it a little. When it comes to restrictions, I'm not a big fan of them unless I'm going for a certain aesthetic, and that's usually something that, like I said, that I can work around by recoloring other things to allow them to have what they want mechanically while matching the aesthetic that I'm going for.
0: Right. A small tangent off of this is when you have something that's not a hard restriction, but it's more of a, like... Please please don't. Well, not not so much a please don't, but more of a, like you've come up with a world and um there's a race that is like players can still play it like um in fifth edition the asmr the elemental people yeah um where uh like maybe they haven't been seen in thousands of years and a player can play one it just means that everywhere they go everybody is going mm-hmm. to notice them like they 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 can't play a rogue because everybody's going to notice them and be aware of where they're going. Right. Um, That's
2: a great question.
0: And, like, because this actually happened to me because the campaign that I'm in, somebody wanted to play one of them, but uh, Tiefling. I'm like, they are crazy rare. Everybody's going to be all over you asking questions. Or thinking they need to kill you because you're a demon. Uh, So... Like you have to be aware of that, and the player changed their mind because they didn't. They were a new player who didn't want that much attention.
2: Right, and I think I think that's that's the sticky part about races, right? Which, like I was talking about recoloring, say you know a halfling to be a dwarf, right? Like you know physically he looks like a dwarf, but mechanically he's a halfling because uh, you want to do a dwarf game. Um, the same thing sort of applies. You know the more colorful races tend to have more colorful abilities, cooler abilities. For lack of a better.
0: Well, I think in this case it was it was literally just I like how they look. Totally. Like the story side oh, of things.
2: Oh, neat. Okay, that's neat. Because usually, usually you get players who are like, I want to play a tiefling because he has fire resistance, and I like that. I want. I have these role playing ideas. I'm gonna pick up things that are on fire. I'm like, it doesn't hurt me. Um, but uh, oh, they liked the appearance, but then they didn't want what came with the appearance. Well, they
0: didn't. They were new players, so like they, they, they didn't they,
2: understand that these were not. Yeah, they yeah.
0: didn't. They like they they didn't really care about the fact that like the tiefling had these abilities. They just like. Cool, Deem, like half demon, demon version. Dude, yeah,
2: like I want to do that. Yeah, um, I think again, you got to be transparent, right? I mean, you're running the setting, you're running, and you got to say, like, look, in this setting, yeah, like guys with like needle sharp teeth and like brick red skin and horns and, and spiky tails are demon people, and people will treat you like demon people uh, because some people also like that. They're like, yeah, no, that's what I want. I want to, I want to play this guy who's like constantly, you know, under assault by people, sort of, you know prejudices, you know, because that that can be a very interesting role-playing experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's your character has to confront that or your character strives to change people's minds or even your character's ambivalent He's like I'm a tiefling, This is how I was born. I don't care um, As far as having that with a new player. Yeah You just gotta be honest with them. Like there's some things you can't change right like I mean that or as a DM um, you got to ask yourself is it pivotal for my setting that typhlings are so rare? And if it is, perfect. That's that's a viable answer. Yes, it is. It's important. They're rare, and therefore people will respond this way. Or yeah, you got to ask yourself: Can I bump the typhling population slider from a one to an eight? Can I? Can I do that? Can they be well integrated in society? Right. Uh, and if so, also cool. Yeah. Uh, you know. But you know, I think communication, transparency—that's the best way to do it. Some players will be like, "Oh, I don't mind. That's fine. Yeah, I'm down with that. Like, that's not what I was going for, but I'll take it." And some will be like, "Yeah, like your player, no." That's I'm not I'm look, not looking for that kind of baggage yeah you know
1: well a follow-up to that mm. then and this is getting a bit away from character creation in session zero but what if you've, you've had a player that you've discussed this with mm-hmm. and they choose to play the character anyway mm-hmm. and then they come to you three or four sessions later I don't like
2: it yeah that's tough. I mean, that's that's so well away from character creation. That's like, I had a session zero and it didn't go so well, and here we are. No, um, but, it, but it happens. It does. It does happen. I think, um, again, you sort of wind up really in the same crossroads that we were at with the previous answer, where uh, you ask them, okay, well, look, you know, this is how it is. Do you want... Do, either do they want to change characters, right? Do, or do I want to tone down the way people are responding? Because, you know, I mean, you can kind of you can kind of fudge reality a little bit that way too, you know, like in the same way that it's like, it does get old hat when every time they walk into the tavern demon folk, get out! And you're like, okay, to the point where, you know nine sessions deep, you're just gonna be like, yes yeah, so you roll into the tavern, Roderick, and everyone reacts to you, and you guys sort that out and you convince them that you're cool because your diplomacy is plus nine, and we move on. Like
0: It'd be like playing in a Star Wars game where you're a droid and every tavern you walk into huh. no droids allowed! Yeah, exactly,
2: it's like you know, you do it once or twice to establish the precedent, you know, and then it just becomes narration for the most part. I mean, there are times where it still comes up meaningfully, but usually it'll be like, you guys roll into town, Roderick, you get the usual guff, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Um, I think that, you know, if the player's having a bad time, at the end of the day, and this is, this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say, um, this is my line in the sand, as a DM, I think that you're there to facilitate. Uh, you're definitely there to tell a story and run your world. Uh, But you're, I think a lot of DMs think of it as a me and the players, and it's really more like the players and me, the referee. Uh, You know, like you're there to entertain, you're putting, you're really doing them a service. Um, And that's not to pat yourself on the back, but to remember that, you know, you're not, you're the waiter and the chef and the restaurant, right? And they are the customers. They're not paying you. But you know, this is sort of one of those, well, I'll DM now and some other DM will DM for me later. Uh, And so if the players are having a bad time, you know, you, you need to fix it. Uh, so either well you can say well have you thought about maybe changing a character or you can say do you want to bring in a character who is similar to Roderick if you like him mechanically but maybe human um, or you can again you can just tone it back like you know your Typhoons don't have to be any less rare um, or any any, yeah any less rare but you know you can just not play up that role play element for Roderick in particular yeah. because the player is not having a good time with it right
0: that's all good stuff alright cool. um Something I've I've heard of a bit, and I've tried to do it in session zeros, but mine always seemed to go sideways. Um, nobody's able to get together on the same days. Group the idea of a group template, where the first, like what you do when you sit down for the session zeros, you say like, we all need to come up with a group template, and all the characters you make need to fit in that group template. So, like the idea of like you like everybody comes down, sits down, and says, we're all going to be people from this outlying city, or we're all going to be a from this neighborhood in a city so a unifying element a common thread yeah something something that they like they all have to this they all have to fit this template so that they all start the game knowing each other it's not they all randomly met at a bar unless
2: you want that to be the group template right okay fair enough and and you like to you like to do that as a as sort of like a like a a form of like a a construct yeah like an official sort of game construct where you guys sit down
0: just so that like everybody can like there's like less having to do with like a se- like a session of like mm-hmm. introducing yourselves. Um, so, I my question is: once you've got that group template and you've done like you've you've set that out, and then halfway through character creation, someone's like, "I don't like this anymore." <laughs> they don't want to do that. <laughs> How do you like it, like in players changing their mind? Like like yeah. you said, and I mm-hmm. and I and I agree with you that like you're mm-hmm. there to be like a referee somebody who helps everybody have fun but yeah. if somebody has like decided halfway through your session zero that they don't like where this is going um how how do you deal with that
2: <laughs> uh, well you know i, I feel like i'm going to keep pulling the same answers on you here um i think you got to figure out why because that's always the big question why all right we, we, we all sat down for 15 minutes we decided we we're all going to play members of the church of bahamut we're all going to be, you know, associated with Bahamut, whether we're you know, knights in service, clerics in the order, you know, a scout that sometimes checks out battlefields, whatever. Okay, now you decide you don't want to be part of Bahamut in any way. Well, why? Okay, uh, that's step one. Step two is, is it a problem? Um, and the reason being, much like we had with the, the 12th Orphan Brothers and their, their halfling friend, or our elves and their human merchant, uh, is it a problem? can we make an exception? Is the group okay with making an exception? And and groups get kind of weird, especially when you you drew the line in the sand. It's like, we're all on this side. And then one guy's like, no, I'm on that side. You know, sometimes they feel betrayed, they feel offended. Well, if he gets to play someone who worships someone else, I want to worship someone else. Um, and then I guess you have to decide first if the group can accommodate an exception. And if it can't, and that's fine if it can't, uh, then do we want to re... We want to revisit our concept. Uh, and again, sometimes the group will be like, yeah, you know what, none of us were really attached to this Bahama thing anyway. But you know, Jim said it, and it sounded good, and he seemed to really like it, and then I thought, oh, okay, you know, it depends. So um, at the end of the day, if no one's willing to change anything, I mean, it's still that guy who changed his mind, who changed his mind, and that's nothing against him. He's not wrong, right? Like, you don't want to play something you don't want to play. But compromise goes both ways, so you kind of have to find that middle ground. Usually, my experience has been that groups are pretty willing to to adjust it. Usually I find also you can sort of stretch things. So it's like, so the Bahamut thing was actually something that we did once for a game. Uh, we were the four wings of Bahamut. We were this epic level group of Bahamite, And so we had we had a warlord and we had like a, a fighter and we had an avenger that's all ed, So sort of like a holy assassin. And we had this other character who was the least Bahamut you could imagine. She was a typhling warlock that we had rescued from the nine hells. And she had been, like, you know, grown up there, tortured there, all this stuff. And so she was grateful. She was totally this, like, total edgelord character, just, like, super gritty and dark and, like, don't talk to me. But uh, anyway, and she she joined us, and we were like, oh, you're a powerful ally. You know, you have no home. Welcome. And that's how she fit in there. So that character was, like, way off-center of the rest of our three characters, who were these pious, loyal, you know, devotees of Muhammad. But at the same time, she was still on board. And I think you can sometimes do that with 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 players we're like i don't want to be this and you're like okay what don't you like about it you know what doesn't fit okay well can we make a character for you who is part of this but not you know what i mean like i don't want to be part of a merchant caravan what if you're the merchant's like deadbeat son oh i like that okay like perfect well the thing that was great <laughs> about that
1: character in specific is it made the rest of our characters meet me like kind of gel more fully into the concept yeah because it's was like, yeah, we're, we've we had
2: all these adventures and one of them was, was big, this character. Yeah. This character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, I mean, you got to figure out why they don't want it. That's the big thing. Why and then what can we do to fix that? And be grateful they told you in session zero as opposed to two sessions in. Totally, yes. That's Because that's the worst is when you get three sessions in and you're like, yeah, no, I know I said I was going to be a paladin a pillar, but I'm, I think I'm going anti-paladin next session. What? <laughs> um,
1: similarly, though, yeah. uh, how do you deal... And this, this, I know this one can be a tough one, with people who don't want to finish making their character at the table.
2: Honestly, I'm less concerned with character creation mechanically in a Session Zero than I am with the story end, because the all the work that I have to do uh, is to weave the tale around the characters. Uh, and again, sometimes you weave it in a way that is like, decidedly against what they're about, you know, to have conflict. And sometimes you're like, oh, and this will be really cool because they'll totally like, jail with these guys or whatever. I, I, if the only reason I could see that being viable, it was like I'm just not gonna finish my characters. Like, sorry, like you know, my my wife called and I gotta go. Okay, man, catch you later. Um, But you know, otherwise, you should be able to be like, okay, well, no, I need to know what you're playing. Like, I need at least at least enough. Again, that three or four sec or uh, sentences that I like to have. You know, again, like I don't need the name even. I just need. Well, I'm thinking I'm gonna play a rogue from the big city. uh, You know, and I ripped off the thieves guild and now they're hunting me, so I fled to this backwater town and I take the job to make ends meet. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. That's it. You can flesh everything out. I don't need to know who your siblings are. I don't, need to know who, I don't even know, need to know who in the Thieves Guild you ripped off or what the guild's name is. If you don't want to make that up, I'll make that up. That's fine. But you would have to leave with so little <laughs> of your character in yeah. intact in for that to be a problem, yeah. in my mind. I'm thinking because I've uh, not DM games but played in games where people have left saying they'll play something else uh, and shown up with something entirely different. Yeah, things. that's... And that, I think that falls into more like the previous questions we had about, you know, people not fitting the concept or, you know, people want to play things that don't gel. Like, again, they, they said they were going to make a paladin and then they showed up and they're like, yeah, so I'm, I'm a, a berserker warlord who just likes to murder people. And you're like, oh, buddy. And at that point, I think you kind of have to, I mean, if they leave, I would follow up with them before the session starts, like before next session. I would, you know, I would want to know at least a couple of days. I'd be like, all right, Jim, what are you playing? I'm playing
0: this. Well, what do you and so something you made me think of is the the like the player who ripped off the Thieves' guild and runs away to a, a city. If you're working with new players, yeah. and especially as a new DM, how do you deal with somebody who's decided that their backstory is if they were a powerful lord or yeah. they were. A, like crazy fighter who got amnesia and like somebody who like creates this backstory yeah. that really should be the result of the campaign right. and not their backstory So just someone
2: who creates a backstory that puts them somewhere from like 10th to 15th level but you're playing 3rd level yeah yeah. <laughs> well I mean it depends you gotta be you gotta be clear with them that you're gonna be the one who's in control of how that amnesia plays out like you know within, within reason you wanna play a master swordsman who has amnesia and doesn't remember any of his fighting stances you know who's only you know competent with the blade now whereas he used to dance with it or whatever you just say to him that's great like that's fine i can do that i can have people walk up to you and be like you're you're drag the legend oh my god you know teach me the single thrust and you're like i can't well that's a great moment right you know or who are you you know that's rich but you need to let him know that when the guy comes up to him and says teach me your secret move he's like yeah i deploy my secret move and i cut a barrel in half and you're like you, know, you need to let him know where that line is drawn so i don't mind you know, especially new players, they like to have these really grand sort of stories, and that's that can be fun, right? Uh, D&D's level system sometimes gets in the way of certain concepts, right? The, you want to play, yeah, I want to be this powerful lord, and that's fine too. Because, I mean, within reason, I as a DM would create reasons why the powerful lord can't simply dispatch his equally powerful retainers, But, uh, you know, and I would say that to him, like, look, you can totally play a lord, but for whatever reason, you know, we're gonna have to come up with a reason why you can't constantly be using your resources to simply trump this. Do I I care if nobles put the party up in the local city when they roll into town because they recognize the lord? No, I think that's a really neat role-playing opportunity. You know, and of course, not every noble is going to be friendly. He's going to have rivals and enemies. So I think you can work with it. Um, That being said, as a DM, giving advice to DMs, you always, all of this advice, you wanna work within your comfort zone, right? Don't don't think, oh, well, I heard that Ray guy talk about how it's easy to just make up your own rules, so do that. I always think the smallest measure to get the job done is the best measure, you know, especially when you're starting out. And the more experienced you get and the more intimate you are with the way the rules interface with one another, the way stories interface with mechanics, all of that, then you can start making grander twists. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, at the end of the day also, if you're not comfortable, you can be like, okay, well, let's scale it back. Um, Actually, I have an anecdote for that real quick. I I ran a game. This actually fits everything. Um, Same game with the unicorn. I was like, okay, I'm going to run a farm boys game. So you're all in this little village, this little backwater village. It's part of three villages called Trihorn County, and they're self-sufficient. And they're more or less, like, past the official border of the the kingdom. So, like, they're part of the kingdom, but, like, no one really cares. (laughs) Um, I haven't seen a text clicked or in many moon. Totally, totally. And I um, I had everyone, yeah, I had this, like, great cast of like farm boy characters and apprentice wizard uh, and so on and so forth and then i had one guy be like oh yeah so i want to be like a knight and i was like no 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 like it's a small village like that's not what i'm going for uh, i like, said oh okay well and maybe like some like son of a general i was like no, no no that's he just wasn't getting my concept uh and so i talked him down to being the mayor's son which worked out fine it worked out great it was it was great we had a lot of fun a lot of laughs um he named his character the stupidest thing. But anyway, that's just another story for another time. Uh, but the point was that, you know, we we figured out what he wanted. He wanted to play a character who had a certain amount of social prestige, you know. And so I said, okay, well, there just aren't any generals or knights in this area. <laughs> like, that's so well outside your character's pay grade. He can want to become a knight. That's no problem. But at the end of the day, you know, like, what about this? And he's like, yeah, that works. That Like, yeah, I could be the mayor's son. I could help run the town. I was like, that's no problem. Like, again, because mechanically, it doesn't impact, like, when he's in the bottom of a goblin warren fighting his way to the treasure, his ability to, like, ask the blacksmith for a favor means nothing, you know? And when he goes back to town, his ability to ask the blacksmith for a favor means everything, and it's awesome, because he can roleplay with the blacksmith. Right. And it was great, because it turned him from
1: what would have been, like, noble, who is <laughs> above everyone in rank, to kind of just big man
2: on campus. Totally, yeah. Like, yeah, you're the mayor's son, but you're not the mayor, which is important. <laughs> so, you know, and and you're still, you're still, like, R H. So that's also important, right kind of thing. You know, yeah. it worked out. Cool. Know. But again, that was a, a player who didn't want to fit the group concept initially. Uh, you know, and he wanted to play something that was just like totally against what I had set up. Uh, and and we just sort of, you know, figured out what he really wanted, and we gave him that. Right.
0: And I think, the thing we've kind of been drilling towards that. As the DM, your job is to help your players have fun. Totally. You're there to to enhance their fun, to like give them unique situations and all this kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, you have to have fun too. You have to be comfortable in what's going on. Yes. Okay, last last question I think. think We should wrap
1: up. Uh What do you wish you could tell yourself before starting your first game about doing a Session Zero (laughs) with your
2: players? Um, The first thing I would tell myself is have a Session Zero. That'd be (laughs) great. Um, I didn't start doing them, I want to say, I'd been off and on DMing three or four years before I started doing my first ones. Um, And I really, once I started doing them, I really liked them. And I've done them in a different number of different ways too. I've had the actual session. Uh, and sometimes when it's like a more play whatever you want kind of game, instead of having a session zero, I would send out a, an idea of what I'm running and then I would send out a small questionnaire, um, which leads me to the, the biggest thing I always wish, that I always like to have from characters. And you don't have to, but I think it helps you be organic when you're dealing with like nefarious supernatural forces. I like to know just a few things. Do you have any living relatives? Do you have names for them? If not, I can give them names. Uh, what's your favorite food? What's your character afraid of? What's what's your character's biggest like desire? Because it, there's nothing worse than having the lich, you know, cast a spell and he's got a phantasmal horror coming at this guy that's gonna be his greatest fear. And you're like, and he weaves his hands about, and the ephemeral mist parts, and you see before you. Hey Sean, sorry. What's your character's biggest fear? <laughs> spiders, okay. You see a massive spider. No, it's it's terrible. But you know, instead of just seamless, boom, this swarm of spiders comes bursting out of everything. That's great. You know, you or can same. Write thing- that stuff ahead of time. Right, exactly. You know, or you want to tempt them with their favorite. Foods, or their you know great treasures, they're whatever, um, you know, even just from a narrative perspective, you want to be able to have people who just coincidentally are offering them things that are in line with their desires, and you need to know what those are to do so. So yeah, I'd say session zeros are very important. Um, if you can have them. Some people, you know, I don't want to do character creation. Um, try and push your group into it if you can. It's it's always beneficial. Uh, the best thing is also make sure that the players talk to each other about what they're making. It's, it's almost as important for your players to know what everyone else is playing within reason. It's okay if, you know, player X wants to have a mysterious backstory. You know, at least Tell them what they would know, you know, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a merchant, I'm a mysterious traveler, you know, I wear a cloak all the time, perfect. They don't need to know that you're the fledgling prince fleeing the crown, like, you know, for sure, but, you know, let them know the stuff that'll be relevant, because, again, otherwise you wind up with that orc-hating dwarf and that dwarf-hating orc, and neither of them knew. Sometimes it's just innocent. They're like, I had no idea. If I'd known, I wouldn't have. Again, right? You gotta be, yeah. you know, make sure that they're building together so that they can all have fun. Yeah, cool. That's it.
0: Thank Um, you very much. Yeah, Yeah. thanks a lot, Ray. And we don't have a tag, so bye.